When the whole world is running off a cliff, said C.S. Lewis, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. A salient quote eight months ago when we first met the illustrious Father James Altman to talk about a great many things. In fact, so many things that we needed to break the interview into two parts. Those who have waited patiently for the second half, I thank you. A lot has occurred in the last eight months. Pro-life Catholics, Latin Mass Catholics, and others have been targeted and prosecuted by the FBI. You won't be surprised to hear Father Altman predict grave days ahead in this interview. One can only wonder what more lies ahead. Father Altman also tells the parable of the rat poison, reminds us that time is one of the talents given us to invest, and delivers bar none the solution to all today's anguish, despair, and pain. It's simple, learn your faith. It's the single best hedge against the demons prowling about the nation, now in the open for all to see, for the ruin of souls. Father Altman says it far better than I could ever. So here's the long-awaited Father Altman, part two. Has our civil law system drifted away from natural law, even to the point of becoming merely procedural? If so, what are the practical consequences? Sure. Well, understanding the laws you do, um, you know there's procedure and there's substance. So there's a procedural law, the substantive law. Um, the procedural, of course, is just the rules. So try and play a football game or a basketball game or a baseball game and have the umpire, say baseball, I love baseball, <laughs> the umpire call all strikes on you, even though they're like, you know, wide and outside, low and outside. And then for the other team, call it like the other way or something. You, you, if the rules have to apply equally to both sides. That's proper procedure. Otherwise, it's chaos, utter and complete chaos and a breakdown of civil society. So... Um, the, the real drift is in substance. And you can use procedure to, to get substance adjusted. But when you have, since the days of Abraham, uh, you shall not harm the baby in your womb in any way, shape, or form. And then you have the Didache, which is the first apostolic, const, uh, uh, what's that called? Catechism, written in about 70 to 90 AD, where number two specifically says in one short paragraph, you shall not harm the baby in your womb in any way, shape, or form. I mean, listen, St. Michael shows up. Shows up. No, St. Gabriel, Gabriel the Archangel appears at the Annunciation. And he says to our Blessed Mother, you shall conceive and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. And you'll have the throne of David. His kingdom will have no end, right? And he's, you know, hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with you. Um, he didn't say, but when, when all was said and done, when she finally gives her fiat, you know, let it be done according to thy word. He didn't say, well, I tell you what, though, Mary, I mean, think about it now. I'll come back in another three months in the first trimester because you may start getting a little pushback from these other Jews who will stone you if they find out you're pregnant. You aren't married, literally married, betrothed, but not yet completed the marriage, right? They might stone you to death. So if, it, if it's, things start to get a little hot and you start getting a little fearful, not sure what your future is going to bring if you show yourself to be with child, I'll come back and we'll, if you want to change your mind, I'll go find somebody else. That's not what the Holy Archangel Gabriel said to Mary. Right? We don't mess with the baby in the womb ever. And yet, and yet, though we know this for 4,000 years in 1973, look what happened. The culmination of this buildup of satanic 
truly satanic, diabolical, anti-God, black hearts of men and women. Uh, and thus we have Roe v. Wade, which is a bad law to begin with. We all know it was terrible. I mean, I, I actually, you know, I can't tell you. I don't know how many, have you read it? Have you actually read Roe v. Wade? Literally sat down and read it. No. Yeah. <laughs> you can go to the, the Washington March, right? Half a million people. And I'll bet you there, there might be 20 that actually, I actually read it. And we're all protesting, making a huge sacrifice to, to process in Washington in the middle of winter, because January is the middle of winter, uh, peacefully, by the way, in, uh, but nobody's read it. But in here, when you read it, as you're reading it, you see the black heart of Satan pouring out of the lips of who was it? Was it Blackman that wrote it? Can't remember. Was it Harry Blackman that wrote it? I think it but was. It it is Satan in the garden saying, "You surely will not die." And when you see that for the evil, it just it is as if Satan is leaping off the page at you, right? So. How evil is that? You know, I say that this all came about because of, um, you know, it, it was a spoiled generation. You know how we have the greatest generation? They produced the greatest spoiled generation. Yep. Because they, for 16 years from the Great Depression of, you know, October not 2029 or uh, 1929 to World War II, there was great deprivation, right? And then World War II comes along and there's even greater deprivation. And then they finally come back from World War II, the greatest generation who sacrificed everything. Uh, and they they got back, they started their prosperity, and they said, we're going to give our kids everything we never had. You, they spoiled them rotten. You never hear about spoiling good, right? They spoiled them rotten. And those kids came of age roughly 1968 and all the sexual revolution because they're spoiled rotten. Give me what we want, right? No responsibility. And there's 1973 Roe v. Wade. Now look at where we've come, how far we've come since then. You have Maryland, I think it is, and perhaps it's Virginia. There's a couple states out there that have 28 days after they're born, you can still murder them. Right. Good. This is so far from natural law, of course. It is so goddamnable evil. I wonder how I wonder how they stay in office unless they're protected by Satan's minions them, them, themselves. Um, that we can even think that such a proposition is discussable, that we can debate the proposition. That's all substance. Murdering someone, it's not procedure. This is all substance. To put on the books a law, which gives you the right to kill a young baby 28 days after, after it's born. There's an ancient legal maxim that refers to natural justice that says, an unjust law is no law at all. The prophet Isaiah spoke of injustice in Isaiah 10, verse 1 to 4. St. Thomas Aquinas taught that unjust laws need not be obeyed. Laws are only legitimate if they are intended for the common good or within the scope of lawmaking authority and are applied equally to all, much like you had just mentioned. What are some of today's unjust laws and how are ordinary people affected? That's a good question. Uh, and where I think a lot of the SJWs and the seamless garment heretics like Blaise Supich and Jorge Bergoglio um, uh, really make hay is um, they take what seems to be an aspect of God's law and they inflate it to cover all things and guide all, be an all-guiding principle that then uh, goes directly contrary to what just laws actually are. 
So let's take the border crisis. This would be a very good example. You have Catholic charities. If you've seen that, uh, if you've seen that 17 minute video from complicit clergy called Catholic cartels, right? I was, I was in that right at the end. I didn't, I didn't know this was going to happen, but I was right there when those first two people were interviewed. I was standing probably four feet from them behind the camera as they're being interviewed. The guy that was a former COO of the customs and border patrol and the, and the guy, he, he reminds me of uh, the skipper. I, I, this is a compliment in case he's watching the skipper on Gilligan's Island. Cause he's just, He's, he looks like him, kind of sounds like him, he's, and he's frustrated, as Skipper used to be with Killigan. Um, when you, he was the head of ICE, literally the head of ICE. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about what's going on at the border. And I could, we could go on and for an hour and just scratch the surface of what we both have seen at the border itself or, or what's going on. Yet you have the Catholic, people in the Catholic Church, like Asupich, like Bergoglio, like McElroy, like that guy down in, uh, oh gosh, where is it? Some, there's someplace right on the Texas border, I think in our Mexican border in, in Texas. They're letting, under the pretense, the false proposition that we have to let all these people in and then disperse them to all the country. Uh, under the pretense that that's social justice. Now, there, listen, there's a higher order here. The higher order is this. God made nations... Uh, ultimately, law must be applied equally to all. And that is the only way there will be civil society. It's the only way man can uh, live together as man, so long as there's a set of laws that apply equally. And one of them is for the, it's for the good of the country. And I don't care what country you're in. If, if the laws that are there maintain civil order, then you can't, on your own accord, just say, I don't care what the law of the land is, that it's been that way since the beginning, that both Democrats who have controlled the House and the, the, the whole House and the, the, the whole of Congress and the presidency at the same time for like two thirds of the last hundred years and to never change those immigration laws, that you can't on your own say, to heck with these immigration laws. I'm just gonna, because of some sense of justice in my mind, allow a couple million illegal immigrants Illegal. They're illegal. They're not even immigrants. They're not immigrating. They're illegal aliens. They're illegal. They come into this country established on illegality. Why do we think they're going to obey any other law? They've already proven that they can't obey the law in any other country in this world, which, you know, John Henry Weston can't seem to get down from Canada to the U.S. because they're, they don't let this going back and forth take place. And we all can't go anywhere if we're not masked up and getting the jab. And yet they're letting these, these millions per year invade us these are invaders they're every much invading us as russia invaded ukraine there's no difference um anyway so um the the question was unjust laws need not be obeyed and they flip it around they say one of those laws that are in place are unjust no they're not it has kept our civil society of the globe in order every country has a border because we must obey God rather than men. And that's straight out of the New Testament. That's straight out of Peter and John telling the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, hey, sorry, we don't have to obey you. And then the best example of best understanding of this, because if we're ignorant, we will be vulnerable, is Peter Krasniewski's, I'm not pronouncing his name properly. I just got to meet him for the first time, finally, this past week. It was, what a blessing that was. Wow. Uh, his book called, I, I have it right over there. It's uh, True Obedience. It's a very short book and very succinctly reveals for the world what an apostate is Jorge Bergoglio and how you don't have to obey in an unjust order. The person who taught me most, he and his brother, uh, how to celebrate the, the extraordinary form, the true form of the mass. Anyway, he went there. He went to, to uh, Aaron Denver. Leader. 
went oh, yeah. to that there and I went to his ordination. And uh, one of the professors there ended up being a daily communicant at my parish in La Crosse. So he, he taught there for like 20 years, I think. So if ever I thought I, and I did this all the time, regularly, I said, professor, was there anything heretical or wrong that I said? And I did that more times than I could possibly count. And uh, not once, as a matter of fact, he said, keep up the good work. Here's somebody who listened to every daily homily long before, long before they ever started going out there on COVID, during COVID time. And, and I had him there every day, keeping me, making sure. Because I'm, I'm, as I've always said, listen, if I'm not speaking the truth, you tell me. Because the last thing I want to do is mislead people. And especially if they don't know the faith, then, then they're vulnerable. And see, that's what, that's what these people like Supich or Bergoglio are doing. Most people are ignorant of the faith. And they also don't know that these people have weaponized obedience. And to crush you, if you don't do what they say, as if their word is somehow um, infallible. And when you read when you read the the de- definition of infallibility, uh, and it was I was from Pius IX wrote on the Immaculate Conception. When you read it, it's like two paragraphs long. I think it's number twenty seven. When you read that and you see what it means to state unequivocally through the glory and power of Almighty God what an infallible statement is, and then you compare it to this crap that's coming out of Bergoglio, and you realize this is just personal opinion which need not be obeyed, especially when you have Trent, Saint Pius V, and and two thousand years of church history saints and martyrs who gave their life for the sacred liturgy backing you up so you don't need to obey false error in fact you know who said this too i love this one uh saint um oh gosh he was in auschwitz maximum colby and he said that the minute a bishop enters into error even in the slightest you don't have to obey that you don't have to obey the error and there's maximum colby and I've been to Auschwitz 10 times because I take pilgrimages there. At the 10th time, is as bad as the first. It just never lessens in impact the evil of men, the evil that exists today. Why people don't understand that the evil of Auschwitz is running around, is alive and well here in our country and around the world today in these globalists at Davos. I don't get it. They're just ignorant. Bread circuses, just give us our food and let us watch the football on TV on Sunday, and we don't care what goes on. Well, then you don't care, and I'll tell you, the people who do care, the people that are in power that are trying to destroy you. Auschwitz is alive and well today, and we're about to see it come to fruition. Um, anyway, Maximilian Colby, his grave is right there. Well, not his grave, but where he was um, murdered in that cell in the basement. And, and you go there, and there's a little shrine to him there, and it's, it's just profound. Uh, anyway, he said, you don't have to obey a bishop when he's an heir, even in the slightest. Well, we're, we are, that, that ship has sailed. They're not just slightly in error anymore. The minute they locked the church, listen, Mexico, they shot the priests and they shot the people who tried to go to mass in the late 1920s, right? There's that, that beautiful martyr, St. Uh, Jose Luis Sanchez del Rio. At the age of 14, they tortured him, sliced his feet, walked into his grave, bayoneted him. He makes the cross in his own blood, and then they shoot him because he isn't dying fast enough. That... But they're going to be standing at the gate when Bergoglio gets there, when Supich gets there. And it won't be long because they're old. Uh, yeah. And, and they're not getting past these martyrs. You don't have to obey error ever. So, yeah. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. <sighs> okay. Last question. Okay. What can ordinary Catholics do to support natural law and natural justice? Sure. What can ordinary Catholics do? Well, you can start by learning your faith. Uh, Most people wallow in ignorance and thus are vulnerable to not even knowing 
what their faith demands. And, and you know, the parable of the talents, one of the talents we've been given that nobody seems to recognize is time. And the question will be, well, what did you do with all that time I gave you? I gave you 170, what is it, eight hours? Let's see, eight times, wait, four times seven is 100, what is it, 170? How many hours in a week? It's 168, right? 168 oh, hours each week. As Laura, I used to know this because, you know, <laughs> there was a law firm that billed more than 168 hours per week. You can't do that. And yeah, I mean, even sometimes, even if you still have to sleep. Wow. Anyway, God gave us all those hours. How much time did we actually devote to him? Did we just clock in, clock out for an hour on Sunday? Or does it say, does, does keep holy the Lord's day mean keep holy the Lord's 55 minutes and get mad at Father's homilies a little long? No, no. Uh, we've been given the gift, the, the great um, talent of time. How many people, let's give, oh, let's give you eight hours to sleep on Sunday of the 24. Let's give you a, an hour per meal. So that's three. So now you're up to 11. An hour for showering up, going to the bathroom, whatever. That's, and that's 12. At least 12 hours of wake time. That's, I think people get, each, each person gets a good 12 hours of good time per day. 12 hours on Sunday. How much of that 12 hours did you actually devote to the Lord? Well, okay, so I, so I, you know, I taught juniors and seniors in high school and that they weren't, listen, they weren't arrogant, they weren't proud, they were simply uninformed. So I put a piece of paper on the desk and say, how much, would you, here's a million dollars, will you sell, will you sign this as a contract, sell your soul to the devil for a million dollars? Of course, they all said, no, Father, don't be ridiculous. So I said, well, let's up the ante, let's make it 10 million. No, Father, not going to do it. All right, $1 billion with a B. Sell your soul to the sign this contract. Sell your soul to the devil for a billion dollars. That means you can spend a million on your new car, your new boat, your vacations, your house. You still have 990 million left to live, live out the interest. No, Father, we're not going to do it. At which point then I'd say, well, that's where you're wrong. Because you'll sell your soul for minimum wage to work at IGA or Shopco or the gas station so you can get a little extra spending money so you can get the newest iPhone, so you can get the newest video game, so that you can get insurance so that you can actually drive. You'll sell your soul for minimum wage. And then, and then it was like dead silence in the room because we all know what I said was true. And we all have a minimum wage. What is, that's a question we should look in the mirror and say, what is your minimum wage? So I'll tell you what I've heard. A lot of the jabs, what's their minimum wage was, well, I have to support myself and my family. And so I need, I have to get the jab or they're, they're going to fire me. Well, if enough people said no, they can't fire everybody, right? But also, well, let's suppose, how about if we, instead of having six kids with cell phones, three cars in the garage, cable, internet, all this other stuff. How about if we just start living a little more simply, focusing on God every day, as we're supposed to do, and, and then you don't need that higher paying job. Or even the health insurance. How about we say to ourselves, my help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. If he calls me out of this world due to sickness, to the illness, to the accident, and I don't have health insurance to cover it, first of all, that's a big red herring. Because you can go to an, any hospital. And if you don't have money to pay, they're going to pay for you. Um, I mean, that's just the way that it is. So it's a big lie. But how about if we just do that? How about if we say my minimum wage is not my job? So it might for a kid in high school, maybe minimum wage is you know now about eight nine dollars an hour at Shopco or IGA. But for adults, maybe it's fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand for their for their career. I don't know. Abraham offered up Isaac. God didn't accept it, but he offered it the best that Abraham had. What are we willing to do? Are we willing to, to offer the best that we have? 
But if we don't know our faith, of course we're not going to. We're not going to know that our help is in the name of the Lord. We're not going to realize that when, when Jesus taught the parable of rich man Dives and poor man Lazarus, that poor man Lazarus is in the arms of Abraham in heaven. And, and what did Abraham, through Jesus, what did Abraham say to rich man Dives burning up in hell? Lazarus had bad things in this life, but look where he is now. So what do we care if we get sick and die? This whole COVID thing? Every single person that succumbed to the masking and the, you know that, that did so willingly did so because they are godless, faithless people completely. And the left vipers who are using this as governmental control have twisted it all around. Because remember, they first tried to get us to wear masks, right? And we said, I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not afraid of getting a cold from which 99.999% of people recover right? Not fair to get, listen, there's always going to be something. We're always going to get sick. And guess what? In the end, we're going to get sick and die, right? That's that's 100% guaranteed. So uh, these people that were so afraid, so messed up, and 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 they, they, they simply don't have God in their lives. So you, the question is, well, what can the ordinary Catholic do? Well, learn your faith, and then you'll recognize the the vulnerable, the, the not faith part. So I, I teach you to life lesson to rat poison. You've surely heard of that one. Uh, when I was a kid, I was greatly troubled by the fact that Rats would eat rat poison because, you know, you'd see the dead rat on the box and the skull and crossbones. I said, what really, what's in that box must taste really, really, uh, it must be awful uh, because it kills you. And it wasn't until like 30 years later in a homily at downstate Michigan when I was keeping the Lord's Day holy that a priest explained that the reason the rat eats rat poison is because like 90-some percent of what's in that box tastes really, really good to the rat. And what's the little bit of poison's all mixed in there. And uh, and he gobbles it all down and kills him dead. So, you know, I did this sometime in the last year. It was pretty recent. I actually got the courage to reach out and touch that box of poison. <laughs> it even creeped me out to touch it in the supermarket. And I, I looked at the contents on the back, and it was then that I discovered that there's only like 1% arsenic in that box. Not, not, not 10%, 1%, which means that just 1% of arsenic will kill your body dead. Well, same for our life of faith. If we don't know our faith, we're going to be vulnerable to the rat poison that Bergoglio or Supich is putting out there. It'll sound good. It'll sound like Satan in the garden. Oh, surely you will not die. Love is love. You know. Oh, that's just that's not a baby inside you. That's just a clump of sounds. You'll you'll buy it's you know, we didn't used to call it pregnant. That's a new word like out of the 60s. We used to always say you're with child. Right? And all of a sudden, see, because you can terminate a pregnancy. What the heck is that? How about terminate your child? If we use the proper language. You know, you wouldn't be hearing these people say, my body, my choice. No, because it's not your body. It's the body of a child inside you. Your choice was already made. So um, anyway, you, you, we have to know our faith or else we're going to be vulnerable. The point is vulnerability. If we don't know our faith, we're vulnerable. And we're not going to know our faith if we can't even be bothered to put in one hour a day. So you ask, what can a Catholic do? One hour a day. What part of that don't we understand? Jesus said in the garden, can't you spend one hour with me? Oh, you got something more important to do. You've got 12 good hours. Okay, you work eight. Well, there's four. Is there something more important in your house, more important than your one hour with Jesus? One hour in prayer with your family. Uh, have it be a family event. Uh, maybe some kids getting to be teens might chafe. Well, tough. They're still living under your roof. Right? So if, if you're not doing that, then you're only deluding yourself into thinking that you're in good standing with Almighty God. And when he said only a few will choose the narrow road of carrying your cross daily, you know, he said daily. Carry it day. He didn't say pick it up for five minutes, put it down, and you're good for the other 23 hours and 55 minutes. No, no. Daily. Pick up your cross and carry it daily. If you've got 12 good hours, you should be carrying your cross for 12 hours. Your faith should impact every moment of your life. 
I'm still working at it, by the way. I don't claim to be doing that myself. There are times at the end of a 12-hour day when I say, this is my time, God. I've given you all I have to give right now, and now I'm just going to veg. <laughs> Even I have my, I'm not all there, right? It's a, You have to, but at least you have to work toward it. But who's even doing that? When you see the empty churches before COVID, you know that there is, and now what is it? Some 81% don't even go to church anymore. 81% don't believe in the real presence. People don't like to do it though. Oh, but just remember this, the parable of the talents, part of your 10 talents is you've been given time. In fact, you've been given so much time in America, you don't even know what to do with it. So you fill your time up with all these distractions, all these entertainments. Listen, <laughs> we better we better be, on our knees praying and fasting and getting ready because hell's coming. Jesus told us it's coming. JP2 told us it was coming. Told us it's here. We just don't all see it yet. But what anybody with eyes to see knows the collapse is coming, and we're talking in the next two months. So, yeah. Get ready. This has been a Chantworks production. Please visit us online at chantworks.com.